Don't just read, absorb. Don't just think, ponder. Albert Einstein said, the world as we have created it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Hello and welcome to Julia and Maureen's podcast. We are two friends who are both educators and met whilst working abroad. With us now taking some time out, our love for reading has flourished through the, throughout the lockdown and we have been inspired by many authors. Lockdown also gave us the perfect opportunity to discuss and share with each other. We have found that we have become so passionate, astounded, even shocked, and had our eyes opened wide. And we really wanted to share our findings with others. We are both avid podcast listeners and thought, why not do our own? Hence the birth of our very first podcast, Through Our Eyes. Through Our Eyes is a podcast based on our thoughts and our points of view. We acknowledge that not all listeners may agree with our content by, ex by accessing this podcast, but please note that the information opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are just for general information. Thank you for our disclaimer, Julia. Let's get started. Yeah, there's evidence out there to say that hunter-gatherers were female. Female emojis have only been around since 2016. There are as many women as men in the world. Are we represented fairly? We're going to share facts with you that you wouldn't believe it unless you had read it. Okay, so there we start. So in our first podcast, we will be featuring the book Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Credo Perez. It's been an important book for us and an awakening to many issues we did not know about that directly or indirectly affect women. One of the most important things to say about the gender data gap is that it is not generally malicious or even deliberate. It's quite the opposite. It is simply a way of thinking that has been around for millennia. Invisible Women is a story about absence. Don't miss the opportunity to dive into this book with us and share our journey. Oh, I'm really looking forward to sharing, discussing, Maureen. And I do hope our listeners are too. I think they'll have their eyes opened. I hope so too. And I do think they will have their eyes opened. Well, right from the beginning of reading the very first chapters, we were shocked, concerned at how the human default is seen as, as male. You would think that through our own professional work and career, Although we may have come across ideas of sexism and that males were more dominant in some areas, we were really astounded that the word human meant male. Can we argue that the gender data gap is due to an unthinking that views humanity as males? Well, there you go, isn't it? It's that I want the listeners to ponder on that unthinking mm. that makes humanity male. And this is the reality. We didn't know this. No. So did you, listeners, did you know this? 
we had no idea until we started reading further. Absolutely. So the first chapter of Caroline Credo Perez's book asks, can snow clearing be sexist? Yes, we know it's an unusual title and question. Don't women clear snow? How are women affected by snow? This is what we found. Snow plowing seems like an unlikely subject for a gender study, given that it takes place in Sweden. Just bear with me. What Caroline found was although town's measures were logical and neutral on the surface, they ploughed the main roads first and then those leading out of town with the small, small local streets being last. Now, this is an approach that's used all over the world and in most major cities, so it's not unusual. However, what was discovered revealed that whilst men commuted to and from work, drove around town, running, women were running errands and taking care of elderly relatives. They often had to walk through the snow, unplowed snow, and sometimes they had their children in tow. What they found is women suffered more accidents whilst walking, which directly affected the economy. Women's accidents through sustaining fractures cost the economy as much as paid work. I think that's absolutely crazy that accidents are just the same amount of uh, the cost of the paid work. That fact just floored me. Yeah, um, we, we wouldn't have believed it unless no. we had it. No. Absolutely not. So what did the Swedish government do? They looked at sidewalks and local streets first and reverse their approach. This had a huge impact in reducing the number of people to accident and emergency, women in particular. We must say that the original plan plan was not made to harm women or to help men. It was just seen as a neutral and obvious choice. But when you begin to gather data, it can make a difference and have a huge impact on everyone's everyday life. And, you know, good on Sweden. You know, they looked at the data, they got the data, and they made an impact, you know? They, they did. And you think of all those countries who have snow issues. Mm. And the UK in particular has huge issues when it snows. Mm. And have they followed suit? You yeah. know, it'd be interesting to find out how many countries have actually reversed their approach. And I think I read something this week. Um, I think it was Caroline sent out a newsletter um, as a country refusing to do the sidewalks. I'm not sure which country, but it's yes, it's yeah, yes. Then they're they're going to do the main roads, but not the sidewalks. But Sweden approved that if you help out women or help do those little side streets, it has far more impact than just doing the main roads. Absolutely, and that's something I think all countries need to look at as mm. we go into winter at this time. Definitely. Well, moving on, the next section also had us thinking. The idea that when cave paintings were discovered, researchers immediately thought that they'd been done by males, when in fact, they were actually done by women. How did they know? Analysis of handprints alongside the paintings suggested that they'd been created by women. Even Viking skeletons were believed to be male. But on closer inspection, they were in fact female. 
they possessed a female pelvis. Why were they then thought to be male? Why did they make that assumption? They were found with weapons and two sacrificed horses, which indicated they were warriors. Was it really hard to believe that women could be warriors? Apparently, yes. But it didn't end there. They then had to carry out a DNA test on the bones to be sure it was a woman, despite having a female pelvis. They found that the skeleton did indeed belong to a woman. I know, but it's questionable, isn't it, that they still needed to do the DNA despite the skeleton having a female pelvis. That's just... Makes you think. What? What are you thinking? What why? Going- why were they not trusting that evidence? Yes, and but you know, oh, it goes deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, the naysayers, mostly males, were out and still questioning whether the skeleton could be female. Now, this was all happening in 2017. Had we not established that women can be found as great figures in our history and beyond? Well, obviously not. Women were known to be buried with men sometimes, but they were usually far outnumbered by men. However, Viking women did own property and became powerful merchants. Would it be impossible for them to be warriors and have fought too? Absolutely. Absolutely crazy. Why couldn't they fight too? Too right. But, you know, Caroline Credo Perez picks up on this idea in her book, as she as recounted by Natalie Haynes in The Guardian, and found that a thousand Scythian burial mounds from Ukraine to Central Asia revealed that up to 37% of Scythian women and girls were active warriors. Just proof mm. of saying. Mm. A whole process was used to prove that hunter-gatherers and warriors were male. So even though they knew that, you know, these Scythian women and girls were warriors, they still were using the hunter-gatherer information to prove that they weren't. Anyway, the default setting of a male world seems requires questions to be asked and a commitment to ensure that women become visible in a world of his story. Yeah, and that's what... What you've said in that last statement, his his story, his story is it history is about female and males, not just the males. Yes, but it's always told from a questionable viewpoint, which is male. Which is male, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about the section further on about me, Jim Maureen? Um, we know we've moved on. There have been considerable efforts and changes we know in society. But we were astounded that the likes of Google Translate emojis and job applications were still male biased. In fact, today, if you Google a word, more often than not, the male derivative appears. We've talked about languages. I'm learning Spanish. Whenever I put a word in, the male version comes up. The fact that it wasn't until 2016 that emojis began to have more female characters That was only four years ago. And reading these facts really made us reflect, as well as question, and to think, you know, are we living in a progressive or is it a backward society? 
And why has it taken so long for females to be recognised, even if it's just an emoji? Yes, and do you know what, Julia? We take things for granted. We're always on our phone and we're sending emojis, but it was only 2016 that we got female emojis. Mm. And that makes you think. And you talked about learning languages and we always have the male and female word derivatives, which mm. makes learning languages harder, as we know, because we always tend to learn language by learning nouns. So yes, yeah. We want to know what a table is or a chair yeah. is what the window is so we learn nouns first followed by you know the male and female derivatives of words which is the bit that is hard oh, to yeah. learn in the language but yes 2016 for a female emoji and, really? and not and still having the male derivative you know why not put them both there when you google translate you know yeah but you know not just google translate but we also found out that our language that we use as default male, you know, in that steps and inroads have been made. Uh, for example, we refer to actors instead of actresses. Um, so, but we still seem to be a little behind the times because it was only three years ago, 2017, that the word firefighter was introduced instead of fireman. And this change was brought about by a person called Danny Cotton. She was the first female head of London's fire brigade. Uh, and although she did secure the change, and good on her, in the book we read that she received a huge amount of hate mail, which seemed ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, it does make you think that at this time, can we really not in 2020 embrace gender-neutral job titles? Mm -hmm. really? Is that really so outlandish and so out there yeah. that you would have to send a threatening email to somebody? I, that that hurt. In fact, people have got to send that as an email to threaten people's crazy. Even the film industry, though, Maureen and cartoons have had very few females over the years. Back in 2007, again, I don't think it's that long ago, a research team found that the percentage of female characters was only 32%. The majority of speaking roles have been in the past mainly men, and even crowd scenes are male-dominated. Men appear to have more screen time as well as speak more, and it's only when there are co-leads that women have the equivalent screen and speaking time. Uh, and don't get me talking about video games. Oh, my word. You need to read that for yourself, listeners. It's another eye-opener. It's an absolute eye-opener. And I do encourage our readers to, our listeners, sorry, to mm. have a read of the book. You know, yeah. um, I think it will definitely open your eyes to what is happening out there. Yeah. And just the, the facts, that it is giving you facts. But not only invisible in tv and films women seem to be lacking in the form of statues uh, there's hardly any statues of famous women who and surely there must be a lot of people out there who should be recognized and deserve a statue i think queen victoria maureen isn't she the the one that leads the statue oh she Can't? is only because she wanted to redress the balance because mm -hmm. if you're in London and you look at the statues, they're all male. 
and your war hero Mills. And she purposely created a lot of statues of herself to redress the balance. But I'm sure there's a lot more famous women we could put up on a statue around around our world and around our country, you know? Not just monarchy, but yeah, yeah. yeah. women. Absolutely. But even them, the banknotes, Maureen, 12 Bank of England notes have had featured men as a historical character, and there have only been three women. Uh, we have read that in the book it says that the Bank of England is changing the ways and they are starting to listen. And Caroline, the author of Invisible Women, actually led a very successful campaign in 2013 and an historical figure was kept on the British banknote. But she found the criteria the bank had for the figures on the notes was extremely male biased. And despite the, her, her campaign being very successful, some believe women were already on a level playing field and were allegedly everywhere in this world. And even Caroline received threatening comments yeah, and, it, you know, it just continues with this theme of threatening emails. And, you know, we read a chapter in the book, there's a chapter on women in politics and the abuse they receive, mm. which we will follow up in future podcasts. But this is not new. It's quite no. normal for women yeah. to receive these threats. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, as we move on, you know, we're both educators and it dawned on us, had we ever really looked deeply at how many or if women were highlighted in textbooks in school? We knew that Mary C. Cole alongside Florence Nightingale and Rosa Parks and Anne Frank featured alongside Nelson Mandela. But it was frightening to find out that books rarely depict women role models. Mm. But let's go further. There's a reason for this. In 2013, a battle raged over history with Michael Gove as Secretary for Education. Mm. He mm. was brandishing his new Back to Basics National History Curriculum. You remember this? I do remember it. Yeah, even though he was in um, Yorin Wells. But yeah, I left he, the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he insisted that children needed facts. Yeah, we know children need a certain amount of facts, but mm. they're not empty vessels. No. They needed a foundation of knowledge. We agree with that. Mm -hmm. Foundation of knowledge, his building blocks was notable for its absence of women. Mm. Two Tudor queens appeared in Key Stage 2, ages mm -hmm. 7 to 7. Key Stage 3, 11 to 14, included only five women, mm. four of whom... Florence Nightingale, Mary Sicole, George Eliot and Annie Besant were lumped together under the changing role of women. Needless to say, the rest of the curriculum was about men. Uh, it's, uh, I do remember it vividly. I mean, I did leave the country and go and it didn't ha affect, has a, have an impact as much in Wales, uh, like you said, Maureen, because we kept inquiring minds. But the fact that we could in Wales develop inquiring minds and it wouldn't be male biased. Whereas in England, they were basically saying men are history. <laughs> yeah. 
absolutely. And that's not what we want to teach our children. No. But um, that was the curriculum and we mm. had to go with it. And mm. I don't remember many teachers or educators having any input in there. No, 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 that's right. I mean, it does get sent out, doesn't it, for people to make comments, but I, I don't know. I, were there women involved in putting that together? Yeah, I, I, I would question that. Mm. but as we talk about the history of humanity history is important the history of art literature music the history of evolution itself but all of these have been presented to us as objective facts Mm -hmm. but the reality is these facts have been lying to us Mm. they have all been distorted by failure to account for half of humanity. And we're talking Mm. about not least by the very words we use to convey half-truths. This failure has led to gaps in the data, a corruption in what we think we know about ourselves, and it has fueled the myth of male universality. And that is a fact. Wow, Maureen, that's quite a powerful statement isn't it you know it is is a very powerful statement and I think you know um it's an excerpt from Caroline's Mm. book but what it does do it it highlights the absence of women it Mm. absolutely makes it clear that you can't have history and fail to account for half of humanity Mm. which is women and by doing that, you are conveying half-truths. Yeah, and, uh, and highlighting absence of women. Yeah, and you are distorting the facts. And you are lying to us. Mm, yeah. You're only giving us half the story. Half the story, yeah. And that's the whole point of us wanting to share, I think, because we were horrified and shocked. So, listeners, this is what we want, why we wanted to share this. Uh, educating our children is fundamental to us and we will pick up on meritocracy and brilliant bias in our future podcasts. Parents and educators should all be aware of this phenomena. Nothing to stop you doing some research of your own. But, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was particularly into this section mm. on meritocracy and brilliance and I do urge you to do some research and I want all educators and parents to look into this because Mm. we didn't know half of this. Um, And if we didn't know, we're guessing you didn't know either. And we've been in education a long time between us. A long time. (laughs) Oh, right. Come on, let's get back to it. Let's not digress. We do like to chat. Uh, The world, it appears, has decisions made by men, uh, which has been highlighted (laughs) Um, previous the designers researchers we have found are men women do not tend to be involved in decision making which has an impact on them and we question this would we not be able to give them an insight into what our needs are what works for us making our lives easier and therefore having a more positive impact on society and i'll explain A good example, I think. Toilets. I'm sure we've all questioned why is this such a queue when we're out and we need to pay a visit to the toilet? Why? (laughs) Yes. 
Why is it that the ladies' queue seems to snake out of the door and down the corridor? According to the research listeners, floor space for toilets is given proportionately. However, for men, of course, they get the opportunity, opportunity to use two methods, urinals and cubicles. This means, of course, the floor space isn't as equal as we thought. Women, because of their makeup, but have a number, number of anatomical characteristics that our male counterparts don't. Why isn't that taken into account? But the toilet pro problem goes further than that. Not just in the UK, across the world, there is inadequate provision for both sexes with it being extremely more so for women. As men, and this did make me smile, can allegedly go anywhere. However. Yeah, it did make us smile. But um, as Julia said, however, there is yeah. a serious note to that because when we read this book, mm. we found out that globally, and particularly in India, Going to the toilet can be quite dangerous mm. and um, it's a dangerous place to be because they're not always accessible for women. Mm. And when you don't have accessible toilets, it can lead to infections and poor health. As mm. we know. And some of the facts we read regarding the lack of facilities and the horrors women go through frightened and appalled us. And this was all in chapter two. Mm. If listeners want to have a good read of mm. this chapter. Yeah, there are quite a few examples about women being harassed, going in pairs, having to go in pairs. It just it was made frightening reading. Uh, listen, listeners, don't don't think that we're male bashing here. We're not. We're just stating reality and we're giving you facts. But we were intrigued. And why and how? Why was this going on in our world? Are we in the 20th century? What century are we really in? Yeah, and um, yeah, th that's all it is. We're just we were just so intrigued by this mm. that we really wanted to share our findings with you. Mm. So, you know, despite there being as many women as men, and women women are underrepresented in our world. Were we amazed? No, no. underrepresented. But the extent to which we are underrepresented did shock us. Yeah, we know. Our generation of baby boomers do well. But what has happened? We hope the next generation does better and breaks the molds that can confine us. Yet, we still ask in 2020, why are women not seen as equal? Why is the world set up for the male? Mm, so true. And one excerpt in the book, though, which sort of highlighted the what we've just been talking about in our podcast. Uh, we're both avid tennis fans, aren't we, Maureen? We are. We love the tennis. Mm, watch a few matches together. But in 2013, uh, Andy Murray, British tennis player, was lauded across the media for ending Britain's 77-year wait to win a Wimbledon. When, in fact, Virginia Wade had won it in 1977. Now, that's not a 77-year wait in my maths, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, and then three years later, he was informed, uh, Andy Murray was informed by a sports reporter that he was the first person ever to win two Olympic 
tennis gold medals. However, Murray correctly replied that actually Venus and Serena have won about four each. You know, it was highlighting the fact that it was being a male biased. Then there's a soccer, a soccer in the US. All right. In the US, it is a truth universally acknowledged that it's a soccer team. It's soccer team, sorry, has never won the World Cup or has ever reached the final. Except it has, listeners. Uh, Yes, it has. A women's team. Won it four times, in fact. (laughs) Four times and have not been acknowledged for it. So the US women's team is actually the most successful in international women's soccer, winning four women's World Cup titles, four Olympic gold medals, and eight CONCAFs, which is the Confederation of Football for North America and the Caribbean Association for Football. And it's won eight gold cups there. Yes, yeah. they're not recognised. They're not recognised and they are still fighting for equal pay against the football team, the US male soccer team, who have never won a gold medal yet. Or never won anything, by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? There you go. Beggar's belief. Beggar's belief. Yeah. Mm. So... Listeners, that's the end of our first podcast. We hope you found it reflective, entertaining, mm-hmm. engaging. Uh, we hope we gave you some facts that you did not know mm-hmm. about before. And we hope that you found it thought-provoking and are encouraged to read the book. Mm-hmm. Please join us next week to find out more and to continue to be part of our journey. If you have any questions, please send your questions and thoughts about today's podcast to through our eyes book discussions at gmail.com. And that's all lowercase. And it's through our eyes book discussions at gmail.com. Or you can voice message us using the anchor link. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, we really look forward to including including your thoughts and some of your messages as part of our podcast. Please look out for our next episode, episode two, where we will discuss travelling with fear and fear is not fair. We hope you've enjoyed. Have a good week. Maureen, thank you. It's been great. Thank you, Julia. Have a good week too. Um, And our listeners, have a good week and stay safe. Stay safe.